Today in Canadian history for February the 17th, I'm Joe Barima. On this day back in 1932, the man who had become known as the Mad Trapper was finally cornered, surrounded by over a dozen men in Canada's north. Now I say known as because, to this day, the man at the centre of one of Canada's most fascinating mysteries is still just that, a mystery. He had been tracked for over 49 days in a massive manhunt through the Northwest Territories that, due to the popularity of radio, had mesmerized the world. But ultimately, on this day back in 1932, the Mad Trapper faced his pursuers. Barbara Smith is the author of The Mad Trapper, Unearthing a Mystery. Settle in, she has quite a story to tell. It begins with one question, what happened on February 17th, 1932? Finally, about 15 RCMP officers just riddled the man's body with bullets. It was horrible. He, of course, died immediately, but he still had his hand on his rifle. He was going to go to the end. And the next logical question might be, who was he? And that's really a good question because we don't know who this man was. This is Canada's ultimate cold case, really. If we're going to do some detective work, it's best that we start at the beginning. Back in the summer of 1931, a man arrived in Fort McPherson, introducing himself as Albert Johnson. The locals said that there was nothing really that odd about him, except that he had a lot of money with him. Rolls of bills. Remember, this was the Great Depression. The stock market had just crashed back in 29. His wealth was strange, but certainly not illegal or nefarious. He also kept to himself, didn't really like people or their questions. But the story of the manhunt begins about six months after this mystery man arrived. The local RCMP had been receiving some complaints about trappers' trap lines being tampered with. Some fingers were pointed at the newcomer in the area. So, on December 26th, 1931, two RCMP officers took out a dog sled and made the long trek from their station to the mystery man's cabin at the mouth of the Rat River. They could see that he was at home. There was smoke billowing out of the chimney, and his snowshoes were resting against the outside of the cabin. The two officers knocked on the door. No answer. They pounded on the door and identified themselves as RCMP. No answer. Now, they were in a bit of a bind. This wasn't the Old West. This is Canada. They weren't about to break down the door over accusations that he was tampering with traps in the area. But they also couldn't wait him out. It was minus 45 with a strong wind. So, back on the dog sled and back to base. So they went back to the detachment, got a warrant to make sure that this man did open his door. They got reinforcements, another two men and another dog team. And this time, Trapper, the man who became Trapper, answered the door. He uh, fired a shot and hit one of the RCMP constables in the chest. So now the situation had really escalated. It had gone from being a potential warning, don't mess with other people's trap lines, to attempted murder of an RCMP. The four RCMP who had gone out to Trapper's cabin, the one had been shot and really seriously injured, they put that uh, injured officer on a sled and they went nonstop through blizzards and minus 50 degrees. One of the dogs died of exhaustion 
on the trail, and they just unhitched him and kept going. And they did get this Officer King to the hospital in time and saved his life. But now the RCMP had a really serious problem on their hands. This man was obviously extremely dangerous. So the RCMP inspector sent out a group of, I think, 11 men and provisions and weapons, including dynamite. Well, the the dynamite actually wasn't too well thought through because at minus 50 degrees uh, temperature, the dynamite froze. These poor men, the only way they could thaw the dynamite enough to get it to work was to put it underneath their clothing right next to their skin. Anyway, they threw dynamite at the trapper's cabin, blew the cabin to smithereens, and they thought for sure they would find little bits and pieces of a human being there. Well, they didn't. He had escaped, and the hunt was on. They, an RCMP search party, well-equipped with dogs, provisions, weapons, chased this lone man through the Arctic into the Richardson Mountains for 49 days, seven weeks, this man eluded them. The RCMP got Wap May, World War I flying uh, ace Wap May and his mechanic and his plane, and they searched from the air. Wap May kept the, the search party provisioned with food and ammunition, and still they couldn't, they only saw him once, and when they did see him, he, the fugitive, fired at the RCMP and killed an RCMP officer. This man was uncanny. Joe, he was so wily, so skilled. How was he eating? How was he sleeping? How was he staying alive? He escaped using phenomenal skills. He must have been so well-trained somewhere. He had handmade, homemade snowshoes, and they left distinctive prints so they could follow, the RCMP could follow those prints, except that sometimes he would put his snowshoes on backwards. Other times he would only walk on ice that had been blown clear of snow, or he would walk just behind herds of elk that had tramped down the snow so he wouldn't leave marks. He would walk in zigzag patterns. He would walk so that when they followed him, he'd made trails that led back to one another. And the poor search party, there they were face-to-face with one another. And no wonder this guy was named the Mad Trapper. It was the press. The press named him the Mad Trapper. And, of course, the name really, really stuck. February 17th, 1932, just about noon, um, Heps Hersey, who was actually not RCMP, he was with the Canadian Army Signal Corps, and he had been an Olympic athlete. And he spotted the man on the crouched down on the frozen river, and he called out to this man that they knew as Albert Johnson to surrender, and uh, Johnson fired at him and hit him. It grazed Hersey's lung and heart, and, of course, that gunfire brought the rest of the search party. They surrounded Johnson, and apparently he was carrying ammunition in his hip pocket, and they hit 
the box of ammunition. So by the time he was dead, he was really, really dead. But when they turned over the corpse, Joe, his face was frozen into the most evil grin, a sardonic smile. It was just appalling to look at. They finally had him. 49 days later, they had him. But, you know, this whole thing started out of nothing, really, that he had been messing with. He was accused of messing with trap lines. There's no proof that he had messed with the trap lines, and yet he was that apprehensive of becoming involved with the police that he was willing to literally fight to the death. Yes, the RCMP and death got their man back in 1932. The pursuit was over, but the mystery was not. Who was this man? What drove him to flee and ultimately to kill? There has been endless speculation on his true identity. 75 years after his death, Barbara Smith was part of a group that returned to the Mad Trapper's gravesite for a Discovery Channel documentary. The team was filled with scientists and experts. There were forensic anthropologists, a personality profiler, a medical photographer, even an expert in dentistry and forensics. Now I'm sorry, there's no Colonel Mustard in the study with the candlestick moment in this mystery. The true identity of the Mad Trapper is not known and will likely never be known. But the team's work did reveal some interesting details. So they got DNA. The, the rumor had always been that he was, um, had been a criminal in jail for most of his life and that he was all stooped over and his posture was bad from carrying heavy loads. Well, the scientists discovered his posture was bad because he had scoliosis. So during this 49-day manhunt, he was in excruciating pain. Endurance, phenomenal. Um, They discovered that he had not been a petty criminal and in jail most of his life. He had amazing dental work. Dental work that was done in the 1920s that would rival anything. His mouth was filled with gold. This man had been wealthy and successful somewhere. Of course, I have guesses by now. He was probably in his mid-30s. That's something that one of the forensic anthropologists was able to confirm. Another forensic anthropologist was able to tell us that he was definitely not raised in Canada. And how she did this was, in everything we eat and drink, there is oxygen. And there's a different oxygen signature, it's called, in different parts of the world. And the trapper, whoever he was, may have been raised in a Scandinavian country, and that's really highly likely because the only person who ever spoke to him said he spoke with a slight Scandinavian accent. Or he might have been raised in the Corn Belt in the U.S. Uh, we were positive he's, he was wealthy. He'd had broken bones when he was a kid, but they'd been set properly and healed well. He was so muscular that that was 75 years later when we exhumed his body. There were still hunks 
of muscle on those bones. It was unbelievable. And by the way, the way his coffin had shifted, his head, his skull was sort of turned at an angle as if he was looking over his shoulder at us. And it was as if we were still chasing him. It it was really quite remarkable. Today is a day full of Canadian history. On this day back in 1919, Sir Wilfrid Laurier died in Ottawa. Prominent stage actress Martha Henry was born on this day back in 1938. And as always, on this day we aired this episode of Today in Canadian History. Today in Canadian History is produced by CJSW at 90.9 FM in Calgary. The executive producers are Joe Barima and Mark Affeld. Original music is provided by the Fisk, Fletcher and May Trio. This series is not meant to be a definitive source on our past. Instead, we hope that it sparks a desire to learn more about our unique history. For more information on the series, or to recommend an event or moment, check out our website at cgswcom slash History. All right, now be warned. This last part of the Mad Trapper story is not for the faint of heart. Here's Barbara Smith with one final grisly detail. There is a grisly little tidbit that everyone seems to like, Joe, and that's that um, no one in the Klavik wanted him buried in their cemetery because he was a murderer. So they finally came to the compromise that they would bury him at the edge of the cemetery. And once that compromise was reached, then they went to the undertaker, RCMP went to the undertaker and said, build a coffin. And the undertaker said, no, I'm not building that coffin. So it turned out that the coroner's hired man was made to build the coffin. They put the body in it, but of course his body was frozen. It had been hanging in in a barn for weeks at minus 50 degrees temperature, the body was frozen. In order to get the body in the coffin, they had to jump on the top of the coffin and broke his leg bone. <laughs>